Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. We have a wonderful opportunity for the kids to go and worship at Kids Worship. The rest of you, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. My wife, Dawn, in college worked at a restaurant, and she had a coworker who worked as an exotic dancer as her second job. Now, I don't need to go into all the details of what that means, so just put it this way. She had kind of a different lifestyle. This young woman was really beautiful. She had long, wavy, beautiful hair. She would wear tight dresses to work. She was basically a woman of the world. She was often kind of withdrawn, kind of cold, seemed to have a bitterness in her heart. And really, I can't imagine what that industry does to the life of a, of a young woman. But one day, she came into work, and her hair was cut short, and she was wearing modest clothes. And she had this exuberance and joy about her that was contagious. And my wife, Dawn, said, what in the world's going on with this woman? So my wife asked her, what, what happened to you? Why the change? And she said, I gave my life to Christ. I became a Christian, and my long, wavy hair and my tight dresses were my life of the past. And so out of repentance, i am decided to dress modestly to glorify my God and to cut the hair that I really loved. It was long and wavy and beautiful, but I cut it because I don't want to be a stumbling block. Now, this was a wonderful account of a young woman who was radically transformed, and her life was changed, and she was forgiven. Had a sinful lifestyle, trust in Christ, and he changed her life forever. And what was so interesting that Dawn tells the story is that her joy was so noticeable. And it was so contagious. I mean, her, her life was just so totally changed. And she just had this, this freedom now from sin and bondage. She experienced the wonderful truth of what Paul teaches in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, why do I bring up this young woman with long, wavy hair that wore tight dresses to work and worked as an exotic dancer who got radically changed and saved by Jesus? Well, because as we look at our passage of Scripture this morning in Luke chapter 7, we see a sinful woman with long, flowing hair who was radically transformed by the forgiveness that only Jesus can give. Now, we have to backtrack to what we saw last week because last week we saw two responses to Jesus. The tax collectors and the sinners, they were coming to Christ in repentance. 
They were mourning over their sin. They realized that God was holy and they stood condemned. And so they cast themselves at the mercy of the Messiah to save them. But yet the lawyers and the Pharisees, the Bible says they had rejected God's plan for them. So I just want to backtrack and show you in verse 29, just to kind of set the stage for where we are this morning. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. And you go down to verse 35, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. In other words, those who are the children of wisdom are those who repented of their sins, trusted in Christ, as opposed to the other response, those that rejected Jesus. Now, in order to illustrate this, Luke's kind of a masterful storyteller here in recounting what literally happened. He's going to illustrate these two responses, and we'll watch them play out in real time in the house of a Pharisee, where we see this unnamed sinful woman show up and break up the party so you guys ready to dive into luke chapter 7 starting in verse 36 here we go one of the pharisees asked him to eat with him that's jesus and he went into the pharisee's house and reclined at the table and behold a woman of the city who was a sinner When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man were a prophet. He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm giving you a little effect there. I'm sure that's what he was playing playing off when he's saying this in his head. Okay. And Jesus answering and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss But from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who's forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Simon, a Pharisee, invites Jesus over to eat. 
Now, it may be helpful to describe how houses were laid out back then and what was really going on. So Simon was probably a wealthy man, a Pharisee, and so they had large houses with large courtyards. And so they would invite friends and neighbors to come over and eat in the courtyard area, probably around 4 o'clock at night. Now, there are people that could come in from the neighborhood and sit around the courtyard and kind of watch what's going on. So it wasn't necessarily a private party. It was more like a block party, like an open meal. And they would be reclining at the table. Now, what does that mean? So the tables were probably about two feet high. And so they would lean against the table with their left hand, and they would use their right hand to eat, and they would stick their feet out. That's what it meant to recline. So you can kind of picture these men sitting at this table with their feet out. They would also have to take off their sandals when they came into the house because they would be tracking in sand from that area. And I want to draw your attention to how Luke just kind of of tells this event. Verse 37, Behold! Whoa, what's going on here? Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. A woman of the city. Now, it was common for people to show up, friends, neighbors, kind of hang out at the dinner party, but the right people had to show up, the right kind of people, the Pharisees' friends, the Pharisees' neighbors. Now, we don't know this woman's name. We know Simon's name. We don't know this woman's name. All we know is that that Luke says, behold, a woman from the city. Now, here's what tradition tells us. The text does not, but tradition does. The tradition tells us that she was probably a prostitute. Some scholars say when Luke uses the word from the city, it's kind of a a metaphor for a streetwalker. But we really don't know. We are ultimately left to guess as to what type of sinner she is. All we know is that three times she's described as a sinner. Verse 37, verse 39, and verse 47, her sins are great. So she's a sinful woman from the city who kind of barges in upon this dinner party. And so what we see here is a study in major contrasts. It's really masterful how Luke puts these two characters side by side. So what I want to do this morning, I want to do two things. Number one, I want to show you the contrast between Simon, the Pharisee, and the unnamed sinful woman. And then after we kind of do that and look at the text, I want to just kind of draw out some implications about what's going on here as far as her faith and forgiveness and how it applies to us in relation to salvation. So let's just look at the Pharisee for a moment. He's probably a wealthy man. He's in the upper echelon of society. He's outwardly a moral, civil, God-fearing man. He's the host of the party, so he kind of has the upper hand in the situation. And so from all outward manifestations, Simon the Pharisee is a good guy. He's religious, he's moral, he's upright. He is probably an outstanding citizen in the eyes of the community. And he's not labeled a sinner three times the way the woman is labeled a sinner, three times. Now let's think about the sinful woman. Verse 37 Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Again, we don't know what her sin was, but she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She learned. Now, the text doesn't tell us how she learned this. But it's interesting that she just had to go seek Jesus out. 
She did not want this opportunity to pass up. She knew that Jesus would be at Simon the Pharisee's house, and so she goes there. And what does she bring? She brings, notice it says there, an alabaster flask of ointment. And that probably cost a lot of money. We don't know how she paid for it. We don't know where she got it. Again, we're left to guess. It could be that she got it from all the money she made turning tricks as a prostitute. Again, we don't know. All we know is that Luke leaves these details out. All we know is she's this mysterious, sinful woman that just shows up out of nowhere because she knew that Jesus was there. And then what does she do? She does the unthinkable. She begins to weep profusely, so much so that her tears are soaking Jesus' feet. And then she begins to take her long hair and to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair. And then... She takes it one step further and takes this alabaster flask full of ointment and begins anointing Jesus' feet. It was shameful in that Jewish culture for a woman to let down her hair. Does not she know what she's doing? She is adding insult to injury. She's ruining her reputation as if it wasn't already ruined. Now she's making it even worse with this kind of embarrassing display. Now it's important for you. We're not in the Mediterranean, ancient Israel. We, we don't know how dinner parties happened back then. But let me explain to you what happened when you were invited to a person's house. Okay, Three things happened when you were invited to a person's house. If a guest invited you to a house, the first thing that they would do was that you would take off your sandals and either the guest or a servant would wash your feet as an act of humility. You're welcome in my home. Take off your feet. We see this in ancient cultures when we go to, to South Asia and places like that on mission trips. You walk into a home, you take off your shoes. Okay. That was the first thing they were to do. Wash the feet of the guest. The second thing they were to do was to greet their guest with a kiss. Now, this is like, you've seen those Italian movies where they, you know, greet each other with a kiss. Embrace the person. Hey, you're my friend. Come into my house. Greet you with a kiss. And then... This is kind of weird, but they would do this. The third thing they would do is the guest would anoint his, I mean, the host would a guest anoints, the host would anoint the guest's head with oil as a way of showing honor. And so Jesus rebukes the Pharisee for not doing these three things. Let's skip down to verse 44. Turning toward the woman, he said to him, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. Simon, you didn't, you didn't wash my feet. That was just a customary thing you do when a guest comes in. She's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. Simon, I was supposed to enter your house. You were supposed to greet me with a kiss to show that we were friends, to, to, to welcome me into your home. You did not do that. But ever since I've been here, she's been kissing my feet. And then you didn't anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with oil. In other words, Simon the Pharisee snubbed Jesus. A very noticeable snub. He was doing the minimum for a guest. He wasn't really showing Jesus honor. Now in contrast, how does a sinful woman welcome or treat Jesus? Well, she gets on her knees as a lowly servant and wipes his feet as an act of service. She can't stop kissing Jesus' feet as an act of worship. And she anoints Jesus' feet as an act of honor. She is showing Jesus honor and worship 
And she's welcoming him. See, here's how the tables have been flipped here. Who's the host? Who's really the host? Is it Simon the Pharisee or is it the woman? You see, Simon is supposedly the host, but he snubs Jesus. And the tables are flipped and the sinful woman becomes the host who welcomes Jesus, who receives Jesus, who loves Jesus. Now, how does Simon respond to this? Is he angry at the woman or is he angry at Jesus? He's more angry at Jesus. What's he thinking in his mind? Notice what happens there. Verse 39, he said to himself, so he's thinking this in his mind, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. He's angry at Jesus. Because what in his mind should Jesus have done? Get away from me. You're a sinner. I rebuke you. I judge you. I cast you out. Get out of here. You have no business being in this Pharisee's house. Get away. That's not what Jesus does. He doesn't judge her. He doesn't cast her out. And so the Pharisee's offended. He thinks to himself, Jesus must not be truly who he says he is because if he knew this woman was a sinner, if he knew this woman's reputation, he would want to be as far away from her as possible. He would judge her. He would kick her out. It's totally inappropriate for her to come in and wash his feet with her hair and anoint his feet with oil. This is embarrassing. So what can we say about Simon the Pharisee? He's kind of a cold, disrespectful man, self-righteous, judgmental. He had disdain for this woman. He elevated himself to a position where he thought, God only blesses good people, and I'm part of the good people, so God must bless me. She's a bad person, so God must not bless her. You see, the bottom line is this. This self-righteous Pharisee did not think he needed Jesus. He didn't think he was a sinner. Didn't think he needed salvation. Self-righteous. He didn't think he needed to be forgiven. He's going through the motions. He's barely doing the minimum to host Jesus. He's not showing true humility or honor or awareness of who Jesus truly is. So what does Jesus do? (laughs) What Jesus loves to do. I'm going to tell a parable to kind of drive the point home. So Jesus tells this parable about this moneylender that has two guys that owed him money. So one guy owed him 500 denarii. Now, what's a denarii? A denarii is a standard day's wage. So 500 denarii in that type of calculation back then was probably two years' wages. Two years'. Basically, a, an amount of money that would be insurmountable to pay back, really impossible to pay back. If you owe back, if you owe two years of salary, it's like, I, I can't even pay it back. Just, just forget about it. It's not even worth it. Now, the other guy, he owed five denarii, which was probably only two months, which is a little bit more manageable. Most of us say, okay, I could probably pay back two months, but two years, there's no way I could pay that back. Now, what's the issue? Both of them were in debt. Both of them had a debt. Now, the one who had the two years debt, it was a major debt. The other guy had a two-month debt. It was still a debt. Both of them had a debt. One was a lot more extreme than the others. And what's the bottom line? The money lender forgave the debts of both of them. So what's the point of the parable? 
point of the parable Jesus is driving home is the guy that had the two years debt, the guy that couldn't pay back two years salary, he would have been overwhelmed. He would have been overjoyed. He would have been so excited to have his debt canceled. He would have been jumping for joy that the burden had lifted off of his back. He was ecstatic because my, my burden, my, my debt for two years has been delivered. It's been forgiven. And the guy with the two months would have been happy. I don't have to pay back that two months. But he wouldn't have been as happy or as ecstatic, as joyful as the guy that owed two years worth of salary as his debt. So after telling the parable, Jesus says, well, which one do you think is more excited? Simon says, well, I guess the one with the larger debt. Duh. And then what I find interesting in verse 44, this is an interesting detail that Luke gives us. And I, I read this like multiple times and I'm like, very interesting detail. Verse 44, <clears throat> then turning toward the woman. Okay, Jesus turns toward the woman. He said to Simon, do you see this woman? Well, duh. She just broke in and messed up the whole party. Simon, do you see this woman? Well, obviously, Jesus, that's a dumb question. She's been down here on your feet, wiping her, her hair on your, on your feet and anointing. Of course I see this woman. Why does Jesus say to the, to the Pharisee, do you see this woman? He's rebuking the Pharisee. Basically, what he's saying to her is, I want you to pay close attention to the difference between you, Simon, and this woman. You're a man that showed me no respect. You did not honor me. You did not worship me. You did not welcome me. You did not do anything to show me any consideration. You were just kind of going through the motions. Your heart wasn't in it. And in contrast, this woman, whose sin was great, like two years' worth of salary that she paid back in the parable that can never be paid back, she's been overcome with joy because she's been forgiven. And in this story, Pharisee, she's become the true host that's welcomed me. You're not. You're a cold-hearted, judgmental, loveless Pharisee. Verse 47 is the heart of the matter. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who's forgiven little loves little. What Jesus is saying to the Pharisees is this. She was a major sinner, and she was forgiven, and she's overwhelmed. But Simon, you're just as sinful. Oh, you may not be this quote-unquote sinner, this, this streetwalker, this prostitute. Again, we don't know. You're this moral, upright man from the, from the outside, looks very, very civil and very moral, but you're just as guilty before God as she is, and you should be so aware of your sin before a holy God the way she is. She understands it. She gets it. She's been forgiven. She knows she's a sinner. She's cast herself at my mercy. She is forgiven. And here you are over here harboring your heart anger at the fact that I'm not judging her, you don't get it, Simon. You're just as guilty. It's interesting because three times in the narrative it says that she's a sinner. Three times. 
If you go back and read it, three times Jesus says you're forgiven. But never once do we hear about Simon ever being forgiven. We don't know. The text doesn't tell us. So, there's a contrast between these two people. There's the cold-hearted, self-righteous Pharisee who went through the motions with Jesus, kind of checking him out but not really giving him devotion. And there was the sinful woman who had been forgiven that experienced the overwhelming joy of being forgiven and showed that in just this demonstrable way of worship that was really extravagant and kind of embarrassing and just kind of over the top. So that's the first thing I want us to see this morning is the contrast between these two people. But the second thing I want us to see is I want us to understand the order of salvation. Because this passage has been used by some faith traditions to teach a works-based salvation. In other words, some groups look at this passage of Scripture and say, because she was so devoted to Jesus, because she did this act of devotion, therefore Jesus rewarded her devotion by saving her. In other words, Jesus responded to her washing his feet with forgiveness, and she did a work, she did a kind thing to Jesus that earned or merited her the ability to be forgiven. And that is not what the text says at all. That could be further from the truth. Because I want to teach you a little bit of grammar this morning, because I think it's important. You don't get this in your English translations, but I will help you. In verse 47, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Now, it says are forgiven. Literally, it's in a tense in the Greek language called the perfect tense, which means this. It's very important. Her sins had already been forgiven at a previous point in time before she came and met Jesus. It's a very important detail in the grammar. Now, the text does not tell us when she got forgiven. The grammar tells us that her sins had already been forgiven. Perhaps, perhaps she had seen Jesus performing miracles or she heard him teaching, but there was a point prior to this where she trusted in Christ for salvation and she was forgiven. Because here's the point. In verse 50, what does Jesus say? Your faith has saved you. She was saved by faith alone and Christ alone, prior to that dinner, according to the grammar in the text. Again, we don't know when she met Jesus, when she saw Jesus, when she heard Jesus. We just know that there was a point in time before this event where she placed her faith in Jesus, she was completely forgiven of her sins, and then she comes and she does this act of worship, this act of joy, as a result of already having been forgiven. So her washing the feet and her anointing Jesus does not merit her forgiveness. It's not a work she does that Jesus looks down and says, oh, you're doing a really nice work for me. I will forgive you. That's not what happens. What happens is at a point in time, she had trusted Christ for salvation. She was completely forgiven. And as a result of that, she comes in gratitude and she shows worship to Jesus for having already been forgiven. Guilt, grace, gratitude. She was guilty, she experienced the grace, and now she is showing gratitude towards Jesus. So faith comes first. You're saved by faith alone in Christ alone. It's not a work. You are saved by faith. Actually, you're not really saved by faith. 
You're saved by Jesus. Faith is merely the instrument that connects you to Christ. Your faith is not what saves you. Jesus is who saves you. As a matter of fact, the faith that you have to believe in Jesus is not even your, your, your own. It's a gift of God. It's, not even, it's not, even, not even something you can produce in and of yourself. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. So here's the point. The point is this. She was saved by faith. She was forgiven completely. And as a result of showing her gratitude to already being forgiven, she came and she washed Jesus' feet as an act of worship. But let me ask you a question. What did this woman need to hear? What is the very last thing she hears? Go in peace. Here's the point. The lasting objective blessing you and I receive from salvation is peace with God. When you are saved, when you are forgiven, when Jesus Christ saves you, you have peace with God. Romans 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace. Not only do we have peace with God, but he goes on to say, through him we've also obtained access by faith into this grace by which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So here's the order. The order is you, you're saved by faith. You place your faith in Jesus. You are completely forgiven. You have total lasting peace with God. And as a result of that, you want to go and express that with joy and worship and gratitude. Now, here's something you may be asking. If she had already been forgiven before she came into the Pharisee's house, then why does Jesus say in verse 48, your sins are forgiven? Wouldn't it be redundant? If her sins had already been forgiven, why is Jesus saying it again to her, your sins are forgiven, if they'd already been forgiven? Is he doing it a second time? There are two reasons, I think, why Jesus does this. First, we can see from the text. First reason why Jesus does it is because he needs to let everybody else in that house know he has authority to forgive sins. That he is the Messiah who can forgive sins. Because in their mind, you can see it. Look at verse 49. What are they saying after he says that? Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Who does this man think he is trying to forgive sins? In their mind, only God the Father could forgive sins. And even on the Day of Atonement or Passover when a priest would sacrifice a lamb, the priest couldn't forgive sins. Only God could. And so Jesus comes along and says, I am forgiving her sins. And they're thinking to themselves, who is this guy? Jesus is basically saying, I am God in the flesh. I am divine. I am the Messiah. I have authority to forgive sins. Don't miss it, everybody here. But number two, I think it's more important for the woman. It's more important for the woman to hear it again. Because if you've struggled with sin and you've struggled with guilt and you can't quite come to grips with the fact that Jesus could forgive you because you have a really bad past or you carry a lot of baggage or you've just done some terrible things in your life, you have a hard time coming to grips with the fact that Jesus truly can forgive sins. She needed the assurance out of Jesus' mouth that her sins were forgiven. She needed to know in her heart 
that she truly was fully and finally forgiven. Again, we don't know if she was a prostitute or not. All we know is that her sins were many. She was a sinful woman. She had a checkered past. She probably struggled with major guilt. She probably wondered to herself, can I ever truly be forgiven for what I've done? I'm a wicked woman. I'm a sinful woman. She needed to know from Jesus' mouth that her sins were taken away as far as the east is from the west. Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. She needed to hear that. Micah 7, 19. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast our sins into the depth of the sea. She needed to hear that. My sins are at the bottom of the ocean. My sins are separated as far as east and west. He really has forgiven me. Think about the stark differences between these two people again. Simon had a a high social position. She was an outcast. Simon was the host of the dinner. She was the uninvited guest who came in and risked everything just to see Jesus. Simon was the angry man of self-righteous pride, and she's the one that's crying tears of joy. Simon was over there critically evaluating Jesus and kind of trying to figure him out and snubbing him. She's given her entire life to him in faith. Simon was religious but had no love. The woman was sinful, but she was overcome with joy and being forgiven. See, here's the big difference between these two people. Only one of them truly understood they were sinner and knew Jesus was the only one that could forgive sins. The woman understood this. The Simon the Pharisee was like the lawyers and the, and the other Pharisees back up in verse 30 that were rejecting the purposes of God for themselves. Here's the thing about this passage of Scripture. Jesus loves to forgive bad people. Aren't you glad? I think if all of us here were honest with ourselves and we looked at ourselves in the mirror and we, and, we, and we had sins that we didn't tell anybody else, none of us here would stand up and say, I'm a good person. We'd all look at the depths of our hearts and say, I've got baggage, I've got weakness, I've got issues, I've got sins, I don't have it all together. And the point of this parable, the point of this story, the point of, of Jesus here is that he saves those who don't have it all together. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burdens light. Think about this sinful woman. I'm sure she had a burden. I'm sure her yoke was heavy. Heavy with sin, heavy with guilt, heavy with the past. And she heeded, she listened to the invitation of Jesus when Jesus says, come to me all who are heavy loaded and I'll give you rest. She came to Jesus and that load of sin came off in an instant. John six thirty seven, all that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I'll never cast out. If 
she was a prostitute. How many times was she cast out? How many times was she thrown out? And now she's come to Jesus who says to her, I'll never cast you out. Do you want to know why so many Christians lack peace? Go in peace, Jesus says. You know why so many Christians lack peace? They haven't come to grips with the fact that Jesus does actually forgive your sins. I can't tell you how many people I've counseled over the years that said, I just, I can't, I don't think he can forgive me. I can't forgive myself. If Pastor Sean, if you know what I did, if you've known what I've done, you would hate me. How could Jesus ever forgive someone like me? I've done something too bad, too grievous, too heinous. My past is just too dark. I can't believe that Jesus would ever forgive me. And you don't have peace because you don't really believe that Jesus has fully and finally forgiven you. One of the ways to have peace deep in your soul is to know and to feel it that Jesus forgives all your sins. Not just some of your sins, but all your sins. Colossians 2, 13-14 You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. My sin, oh, the bliss of that glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. It is well with my soul. Here's the question for all of us this morning. Do you have peace with God? Is it well with your soul? Are all of your sins nailed to the cross can you truly come to grips with the fact that Jesus can and has fully and finally forgiven you all your sins not just some all of them and I will say this there is nobody here today that has too bad of a past or too checkered of a past or too heinous of a sin there's nobody here beyond the reach of Jesus he stands ready willing and able to receive anybody who would come to him today. So as we come to the Lord's table this morning, I want us to be like this woman, that we're overcome with joy because all of our sins have been forgiven. Totally, utterly, finally, by the precious blood of Jesus, our Savior. He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Fathers, we come before you this morning. We want to know and experience the joy of being forgiven. 
Lord, there may be some in this room this morning that struggle in their heart of hearts to wonder if you could ever forgive them. Lord, they have deep sin in their life. They've done things that they could imagine they would have never have done. And they're wondering, am I too far gone? Have I done too bad a thing? Am I beyond the reach? Lord, we know the answer is no, they're not. Would they cry out for mercy? Would they confess those sins and find in you, Jesus, a perfect Savior that doesn't just forgive some of our sins, but forgives all of our sins? There may be some here for the very first time that have never actually confessed sin, never cried out to you, never called upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Would today be the day that many in this room, maybe for the very first time, own up to their sin and realize that, Jesus, you're the only one that can forgive. You're the only one that can cleanse. You're the only way of salvation. You're the only way of eternal life. Lord, for, for us who have experienced that, there may be some here that are struggling with doubt. They wonder, have they really been forgiven? They're listening to the lies of Satan that brings those doubts into their hearts and those condemnations. Lord, help us all as we approach your table this morning to have the confidence, the joy, the assurance to know that our sins are forgiven. And we will never be held accountable for those again. And on the day of judgment, when we stand before your holy throne, we will be not guilty on account of the blood of Christ in our place. Let us live in the joy of that. Let us never get over that. Let us be grateful for that. No wonder this woman gave everything to Jesus in that moment. She'd been forgiven much. She loved much. We who begin forgiven much help us love much. For your glory alone, Jesus. Amen.